Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan life. The skyline is etched in my veins. You can never put that out, no matter how hard it rains. In my city. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of no hawk talk this is brian nemhaz you can find me on twitter at hawk blogger and you know what you know i don't feel like talking about the seahawks right now we've talked a lot about the seahawks we'll always talk about the seahawks but what i want to talk about what i've been listening to other people talk about and what i'm dying to talk to, to people about now is the washington huskies are in the national championship uh we don't talk about that much on this show or in this pod or this channel and it's not only Seahawks fans in our crew. We've got some pretty hardcore Husky fans as well. And two of them are here today to talk about the national championship happening Monday night. First is Trayton Howell, Trey, as we call him. Trey is also our hardworking production uh, coordinator who puts up every pod and has been doing this out of the kindness of his heart for a number of years. Now, Trey, good to see you, man. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for uh, bumping me up to the big leagues and allowing me to crash. As soon as you said something about a pod uh, wanting to go live and talk about the dogs, I was all in. I've been dying to talk about the dogs all week. So, um, yeah, thanks for letting me on and uh, really excited to talk some some Huskies football before the national championship game on Monday. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, and then uh, Derek. Derek, as well, has been on the pod, the Real Hawk Talk crew, for a while. He's written a bunch of great articles on hawkblogger.com and been an occasional guest on Real Hawk Talk or co-host on Real Hawk Talk as, as well. Derek, uh, you are also a Huskies fan. Um, tell me quickly, like, what's your background with the dogs? Uh, grew up rooting for them. You know, born and raised in Seattle here. Uh, fell away a little bit, maybe a little bit of uh, Wazoo fandom and a little bit of Oregon Duck fandom. Uh, got some got some ties to those those places as well. Um, but came back came back to the Huskies and uh, went to UW. So, so I'm here. That's how you're here. Uh, Trey, I meant to ask you the same question. How did you come to be a Huskies fan? Uh, I grew up in a household where we just bleed purple and gold, bleed sports in general. And um, kind of the same as Derek. I mean, it, there were some really hard Husky teams to watch there in the early, late <laughs> 2000s and early yeah. 2010s. And, um, you know, I real quick, just I remember I've heard Safi talk about this on his show for years now. Um, just how there's this younger generation of Husky fans uh, watching this team, watching the Chris Peterson team um, that haven't experienced what we what Huskies fans saw in the 90s from Don James and those Rose Bowl teams that played against Michigan. And uh, really cool to kind of see it happening this year. Um, and wait, see wait. What you weren't you weren't around in about. the 90s. You weren't around. I wasn't 90s. around in the 90s. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm saying is that, that okay, okay. And guys like Softy <laughs> got to see that. Sorry if that didn't come across clear, but uh, yeah, the, those, you know, my my dad, my friend's dads, uh, guys like Softy got to see those teams and uh, um, never really knew what a successful Husky football team looks like and how college football can, can kind of you know, creep above NFL fandom in, in some ways and uh, getting getting to experience in that this year has been really special. That's cool. Yeah, I, I should share. Um, I, I'm kind of similar to Softy in that I, I didn't go to UW. Um, at one point, I wanted to go to UW, but I grew up in Portland and uh, I thought I was going to 
be like a marine biology major at UW until I got like a D in biology in, in high school. And I was like, this isn't going to happen. Uh, so I don't think I was smart enough to get into UW out of state for sure. And um, but I always was a Huskies fan and I grew up around. Obviously, most people are going to U of O, um, maybe some to Oregon State. And I always hated the Ducks. I hated the Ducks. I went to Ducks games with some of my friends and their dads. And I thought Ducks fans were just absolutely you know, atrocious. Like I saw some things I will not go into that were pretty awful back then uh, at Autzen. Um, and, you know, my son went to University of Oregon. So relax if you're if anyone's a Ducks fan. It's OK. It's OK. But um, I was a huge Huskies fan and I grew up watching, you know, uh, those teams. And I re remember for my 13th birthday, my parents bought me a combination trip to see uh, on a weekend a Huskies game against San Jose State on a Saturday and then a Seahawks game in the Kingdom on a Sunday. And we took a boat to Husky Stadium, had the whole thing. Those teams, like as much as I love this Huskies team, these are not those teams. Like that team would just dismantle opponents like 56 to 10. And like there was, they just were just torn to shreds. But, uh, this is definitely the most fun I've had watching the Huskies in a long time. And so I'm a casual fan. I am not an obsessed Huskies, uh, Huskies fan. I don't like rise and fall at the same level as probably the other two guys on this show with the Huskies. I think for me, a big part of it's been, um, I mean, one, I just love watching the offense that Kalen DeBoer and Ryan Grubb have brought to, to Washington and two, I love watching Michael Penix run it. Like, I, I think I love the underdog. I always will. And I, to the, to the end of, you know, until for some reason I get proven wrong, I will believe Michael Penix is one of those remarkably misunderstood national players. Even after what he did last week, I still hear people doubting him. And I'm like, I just don't get it. I don't get what people don't see because it seems pretty obvious to me. Um, so let's talk a little bit about this game. Um, I want to go to each of you and hear, uh, you know, what what has to happen for the Huskies to win this game? Like, what what's the what's the game script that you want to see? And Derek, I want to start with you on that one. Yeah, for me, it's it's really pass protection. We saw what. Michigan, if you watch the Rose Bowl, you saw what Michigan did to Alabama. They got, I think, five or six sacks on Jalen Milrow. Um, you know, I, I think especially that Michigan is maybe a little more creative in how they dial up pressure. Texas with Pete Kukowski, you know, was a former UW defensive coordinator. Things were kind of vanilla when he was here with, with Jimmy Lake. Um, you know, getting pressure with just the front four, dropping guys into coverage, nothing really to, to really shake up and, and give different looks to the to the offense. So I think Michigan will throw some new things, maybe not brand new, but definitely different from Texas. So uh, it's going to be a tall task for the offensive line to hold up. I'm also con you know a little concerned about Dylan Johnson, the running back. Um, he's been so, so good in pass protection this year, picking up blitzers that if he's if he doesn't go, then then I think that's going to be another challenge, uh, especially with how Michigan blitzed uh, against Alabama. So it's really pass protection. And if that can happen, you know, I'm confident that Penix and all the receivers can can find ways to win. I don't think there's a secondary in the country that can stop Odunze and McMillan and Polk when they're all going. So if they can protect, I'm, I'm confident the team can put up points. And if it turns into a shootout, it turns into a shootout. Washington's been there multiple times this year and found ways to win. So, Yeah, Trey, I, I, I agree with Derek on a lot of that. And, and I look at the Dylan Johnson situation. I think a lot... For my money, people are misunderstanding why Dylan Johnson matters for this game. I don't. I think his running matters, and when he was able to be a productive runner, that was huge for this offense, and would be great if somehow that happened. Biggest thing for me is he is the blitz pickup guy. I trust him in blitz pickup more than I do, like significantly more than any other player. So I think he. I was shocked when the day after the game, Ryan Grubb was saying, "Yeah, we think he's going to play." Uh, what have you heard? I mean, I, I've not been tracking it as closely. Have you guys heard anything more about his availability since then? 
No, I want to say Tuesday or Wednesday, Brian. I'm not sure if you heard anything different, Derek, but um, yeah, just hearing Ryan Grubb say that he's going to be going. Um, I, I heard from a couple of fans on Twitter that they saw Dylan Johnson celebrating on the field with his teammates on TV on the national broadcast. I saw him get carted, carted into the locker room like right as the game ended. Um, so to see him back there out on the field with his teammates after what looked like a pretty significant injury, that gave me some some hope to him playing on, on Monday. So Grubb, Grubb, I was, I think it was Monday or Tuesday it would be said yeah. x-rays were negative, but they were going to do some more tests that night. I, I think on Wednesday, DeBoer had a press conference and he said kind of the same thing was, yeah, it's the injury that he's been dealing with something with his foot. I think he got stepped on it was at the Oregon state game. Uh, and he's been really, really banged up since then. I thought having a big long layover, five, four weeks it was, uh, was going to help that. But if he just re-aggravated it, then then maybe it's going to be a similar situation to how he was in the Apple Cup, and he really uh, really pushed through there. So hopefully he can do the same on Monday. I mean, it would be something. Uh, you know, we've we've all watched enough football at this point. When you see someone who can't get off the field and is writhing in pain and has been dealing with an injury already and then gets carted off and, you know, it's off the foot the whole time after the game. Those guys don't play the next week. Like they just don't like that. That does not happen. And they definitely then don't play and play well. Uh, so I am a little skeptical that that's going to actually work out. And I think, you know, I'm uh, expecting that Dylan Johnson will not be able to be Dylan Johnson. Maybe he can p pick up blitzes and that would be a huge, huge boon. Um, if he can't go, how much does that change the, your uh, confidence that the, the Huskies can win this game? Trayton, you want to go? Well, I, I'm not going to sit around and, and act like I've studied this Michigan team on film. Um, I, I haven't watched much of Michigan this year. I know they play in a pretty soft conference. So them being ranked ahead of UW there at the end of the season in the rankings was um, – pretty sad to see. Um, but I think it just, I mean, the second half of the season, Dylan Johnson has really helped this team and picked this team up when they needed it. Um, but Michael Penix is still in this offense and this offensive line, the receivers, they've still been great, even though they haven't been to full strength, like you saw in those first four or five games of the season going into the Oregon game and uh, against Texas. Um, so I think it really comes back to what Derek talked about. Can this offensive line be the best offensive line in, in the country like they've been all year? And uh, are these receivers going to show up to play? And is Michael Penix going to show up to play? And there's uh, been no game this year besides uh, maybe barring the Arizona State game where uh, that hasn't been the case. So um, I like our chances. What do you think, Derek? I just think it's impossible to know that this has not been a team that's been a running back by committee. It has been really since week two or three, whenever Dylan Johnson, I think he had a knee injury earlier. Uh, really since then, it's been his backfield and he's the one getting all the carries. I think, I, I think the stat is he has 200 some carries this year. The other two guys, uh, Tybo Rogers and Will Nixon have like 45 between them. So this is an 80% Dylan Johnson backfield. And I don't know. I don't have confidence in the other guys because I haven't seen it, but at the same time, I don't have a reason to not, not think they can't, can't do it um, just because we haven't seen it. So it doesn't mean they, they can't do it. You know, you, you mentioned something I about the, go ahead. Other Derek, thing, yeah. One other thing, Brian, um, is that if Huskies fans want something to hang their hat on Tybo Rogers, I mean, he only had a couple of carries, but from what I remember, he looked pretty good in that Texas game. And I don't know if that's because they didn't game plan to, to see Rogers much um, as opposed to Dylan Johnson. Um, but Dylan Johnson was not running the ball well against Texas. And um, that, that isn't all on DJ, but uh, uh, I think there's reason to hope that, you know, Rogers can come through that freshman number 20. Yeah. I mean, Tybo Rogers brings a different type of game. He's, he's a fast, he's a, he's a fast guy. He's not going to, he's not going to run through tackles like the way Dylan Johnson does. So I don't know if he's going to be as useful between the tackles, but maybe that's actually not what this defense like against this defense you should be trying to do. Maybe you should be trying to get to the edges and maybe Tybo Rogers can be helpful or maybe he can be a better screen option if they decide to do that because if they don't have the run game, then I think some of the screen and quick passing game might have to be 
part of the game plan to figure out other ways to get those three, four, six yard kind of plays on first down. And Tyber Rogers could be part of that. I, I have real doubts about his blitz pickup and I, and given what Michigan did against Alabama and the way they schemed, I, I think people have to understand having a great offensive line is one thing, having them know how to handle, you know, more exotic blitzes is just, it's, it's not necessarily whether you're a good offensive line or not. That's just experience. That's coaching. There's all sorts of things that can lead to a good player not holding up against the blitz. So I think that's a big deal. But something you said Trey, earlier. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to, on that point, um, Alabama allowed 49 sacks, I think, during the season. They're like tied for 122nd in the country. Okay. So yeah. They, they're on that. offensive line. They're an offensive line that gave up sacks. And, and really, I think it's, Part of the analytics shows that, you know, sacks are, are somewhat of a quarterback stat. Jalen Milrow holds onto the ball. He likes to run around. He's going to, you know, he's going to try to drop his eyes a little bit like Russell Wilson and try to scramble out of there. So that is an offensive line and, a, and an offensive unit in general that gave up a lot of sacks this season in a way that Washington just hasn't. I mean, they've given up 11 sacks all season. Obviously a great offensive line, but so much of that is is what Penix does, right? Get the ball out quickly, find those hot reads and and not allow that pressure to affect you. I'm, I'm so appreciative that you knew that because that's one of the things I've been listening around all those different coverage. I'm like, everyone's talking about how Michigan schemed up Alabama. I'm like, does anyone like I haven't I did not take the time to look it up myself. Is Alabama's offensive line any good? Because I know I, I saw I, I only needed a few games to watch Jalen Milrow and say, OK, this guy is not the guy that is is making the best decisions. He's not making great pre-snap reads. He is playing instinctual football and just like when it works out, it's great. When it doesn't, it doesn't. And and so, yeah, it, it's encouraging to hear that 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 BAM offensive line has been pretty bad this year. And you could not have a bigger opposite of Jalen Monroe uh, Milrow than Michael Penix. Um I, This leads me back to where I was going with Trace. Like we got such a great offensive line. We do. I love the Huskies offensive line. I'm not taking anything away. I get a little bit like my, like I get a little defensive uh, for Michael Penix when it always comes back to the offensive line and the receivers and he's playing with all this stuff because I've seen quarterbacks play college football, pro football with all sorts of levels of supporting cast, offensive lines in front of them. Michael Penix is a massive part of why he doesn't get sacks. He is a massive part of why they complete passes. He is a massive part of why they don't turn the ball over and why they make 50-50 plays. And so you saw it in the Texas game. There was a play, a guy, a free runner came in. Penix immediately flipped, threw it to the flat bullet. You know, it wasn't a big play, but it's not a sack. And for Jalen Milrow, that's a sack, 100%. Or he's scrambling and he's probably getting sacked anyway. So... I don't know. I, I, I think I think that it doesn't matter what the opponents do other than what we've seen this year. If they can get up the middle blitz pressure like Arizona State, we saw that, right? Um, we saw that with a few teams where all of a sudden now it doesn't matter. Like you just can't operate as a, as a quarterback in that situation. Do you feel like the, you know, we haven't really seen that for a while. Do you feel like the Huskies have made corrections about what was happening in those situations? Or do you just think they haven't faced a defense that can do it? Um, either one of you, feel free to jump in. Uh, I'd have a hard time believing there's they haven't faced a defense that can do it. They faced Oregon again. That was a pretty good defense. Texas, yeah, their secondary was weak, but they got the guys up front to, to do that if they wanted to. Um Trying to think of other defenses. You, they faced Utah afterward. They put up 35 points. Oregon State a little bit, but, I mean, that was a torrential downpour. Uh, I don't really put too much weight on the offense not being great that night. So I think they made adjustments. I think the run game also helps in those situations, uh, especially we see some of these more outside runs, those little pitches where, where they're in the shotgun and he just flicks it out real quick. Uh, I think this can be particularly effective against a team that's trying to crash the middle. Trey, any thoughts there? So, Brian, let me get make sure I understand you. Uh, you're saying that UW, UW's interior offensive line did a great job of blocking up the middle on, on Monday night. 
and that was a good defensive line that they faced. Obviously, interior defensive yeah. line. I, I guess I'm saying I think that when I've seen Michael Penix not be able to um, avoid pressure, it has been when a team has blitzed their linebackers, not their defensive line, but their linebackers up the middle, double A gap. Like they send people and it just overwhelms the interior offensive line. Someone gets not picked up and Penix is bailing out, having to just toss the ball quickly and they just become ineffective. And so if I'm Michigan, I've seen, I have seen, I've watched those film that film over and over again about what worked. And I'm like, we're better than those guys. We're going to do that. And they're not going to be able to stop us. So I guess my question that, you know, Derek had his point of view is like, have the Huskies corrected that? Is there anything that's changed like that we can point to that say different personnel or anything else that would say like why we'd be more confident? I think Derek was just saying we faced some good defenses since then and they haven't been able to do it. And that's a decent sign that maybe the, the Huskies, I should say, made some corrections. I also I'll jump it well, back in. Yeah, go ahead, Derek. You're good. Uh, Jalen McMillan was hurt for basically the whole season. Really, Michigan State onward until the Pac-12 championship. I don't. He played the couple games beforehand, but didn't really do anything. So that's your that's your route runner from the slot. That's your guy that can get open quickly. We saw it in the Pac-12 championship when they needed a first down. It was about third and four. He, he completely exposed that safety and and got open quickly. So he's a guy that can be found underneath and and really create separation in a hurry to get the ball out quickly. So, Yeah. Uh, I think that um, I just want to say, you know, with obviously like that was great, Derek, you pointed out Jalen McMillan. I think that this offense against Oregon and Texas has been completely different, but you also got to factor in that there's speculation that Michael Penix was dealing with a rib injury since that Oregon game. Um, and he looked, he, he still looks like a great quarterback, but he didn't look like he looked in those first five weeks of the season. And he just played the game of his life on tech, uh, against Texas. Like that, that was a phenomenal, phenomenal performance by him. Um, and I mean, if there's going to be any team that can find a way to slow him down, um, it's going to be Michigan. I just don't know if it's going to be enough. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I want to credit, uh, someone in chat here, um, on Twitter, who's following, uh, who mentions Richard Newton. I, I think Richard Newton is a, is an interesting name to pull out. Um, we talked about Tybo Rogers, but Richard Newton is obviously a much bigger, stronger, uh, experienced dude. And I would have a lot more confidence in him in pass protection kind of things. He should know that by now. Um, and so that, I think that he could be an interesting name that plays a role if, if, uh, yeah, and he's, he's going to be a fifth year guy at this point. So yeah, like I said, much more experienced than Tybo. Also, who's a true freshman. Uh, the other guy, Will Nixon has played a little bit. I think he's a, he's a sophomore, so much more experience and definitely bigger. He's had an interesting, career he was the guy for a little while as as a, i think a redshirt freshman he was he was right rusher and then got had some injuries i know um but just an odd odd trajectory yeah yeah i mean it wouldn't be the worst thing for him to get a chance to you yeah. know ha have his uh have a contribution in the big game um on the other side i want to flip around for a second because i think the other part of this game that is a massive question is the Michigan run game against the Huskies run defense. And it was mostly understood, but I think still undersold. The Huskies didn't stop shit on the ground against Texas. Texas ran. If Texas had stick, stuck with that, if they had not made mistakes, they could have held the ball. They could have scored like a lot um, of points. Michigan's, I think, got a better run game. I think that they've got a better offensive line and scheme. Um, you tell me if I'm wrong, but that was my impression just watching. I've not looked up any numbers. Um, and this is a team that they're happy to get four yards, four yards, three yards. Like they'll just keep doing that. So they're not going to get away from the run game unless they get down big. What's the case to be made that the Huskies can slow that run game down? Either one of you have uh, a way to tell me I should feel a little more encouraged about that matchup. Michigan is not an explosive run game. They run a lot. And so their, their volume stats look great. They run for 150 yards plus game. So, but they run a lot. They're, they're averaging like just over four yards a carry. And as 
poor as UW's defense can be at times, especially defending the run, they have not given up a lot of explosive running plays either. They're, you know, five, six yards, maybe a few chunk plays, but nothing that goes 30, 40 yards and, and you just run them down. Even USC, which I think was probably the best rushing team against them, even their best runs were eight, nine, 10 yards, um, other than a couple of maybe Caleb Williams scrambles. So I think if you're if you're hopeful there, it's that Michigan is not shown to be super efficient at running the ball. They do it a lot and they're willing to do it a lot and they can stick with it. But I think as we've seen some other teams, including Texas, is you got to keep pace with Washington's offense. And if they're putting up points and you're down 10 points and you're down 14 points, are you going to stick with it? Texas didn't. USC didn't. A lot of other teams didn't. I'm not sure how long you can afford to do that. Maybe in the first half, but you start getting into the second half. Can you afford to keep trying to grind it out and hold the ball for eight minutes? I think it's, I think it's a real question that has affected numerous teams this year who have ran the ball effectively. But yeah, I want to come back. I want to come back to the the matchups and in terms of what Michigan's seen versus what they haven't seen and 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 how that play might play out here. Trey, just with the run game for a second. I think one halfway credible story I've heard is, you know, Oregon has been pretty committed to the run. They ran the ball pretty effectively in the first game. Bucky Irving especially was a load in that first game. And Bucky Irving did almost nothing in the second game. Now, their other their other player, I'm forgetting his name, he had a pretty big game in the Pac-12 championship. But generally, the run defense held up pretty well against Oregon. Do you, do you think that, that Oregon's uh offense is comparable in terms of the run game to what michigan's gonna put out there i i can't answer that because i haven't watched michigan enough but i can say that um i i think what you brought up brian about the probably the most comparable um offense in terms of who they struggled against would be Oregon is that that first game, that's almost the reason they lost the game is because they could not, they could not stop Oregon from getting first downs and running on the field, running down their throats. And, and that second game um, in the Pac-12 championship, uh, Kalen DeBoer and that defense came out with just a phenomenal game plan against Oregon. Um, and yeah, that's kind of how I would put it. So, uh, let, let's talk about a little bit, uh, and this actually will bleed into NFL pieces as well, because I think some parallels here. Um, you've got a team in Michigan that's not like their defense is, if not the best in the country, it's right up there. It's a legitimately a very good defense. I don't think it's baloney. I don't think that they haven't been. I don't buy this notion that they haven't been tested. I think that they're a very good defense. You've got the Huskies who have clearly a superior offense and um, it, it reminds me a little bit of the, uh, the Seahawks Super Bowl against the Broncos where, you know, Broncos fans were coming in and they're like, we got Peyton Manning. This is a record setting offense. No one's going to keep up with us. The Seahawks had a all a generational defense, uh, and they had a good offense by the way. So it's not exactly the same. Um, and the defense wiped the floor with them. And when I did research on national on super bowls of number one offenses facing number one defenses the number one defense won far more often um, than the number one offense and i am curious i I don't see this as exactly the same i don't see michigan as having an all generational defense even at the college level um i do see washington's offense as being incredibly special but where do you stand on a really good defense, a good running game against a really good offense and an okay defense? Um, like putting your hands over over the the teams themselves. Derek, how do you feel about those kinds of matchups when you see two football teams get together? Look, I think Michigan's the favorite for a reason here. They're four and a half point favorites. It, it I'm not irked about that in the way I was irked about Oregon being a nine and a half point favorite, but Michigan's favorite for a reason. I think they're the more complete team overall. I think they're clearly inferior at quarterback, which makes a difference, but they have a great defense. Their offense is, is middling. I'm not a big fan of JJ McCarthy. I know he has some fans 
uh, in the bizarre world, which which is bizarre. bizarre. We can talk about we can talk about that. Although I will say, I the the game against Alabama is the most impressed I've been by him all year. I think that was his toughest one of his toughest tests, if not his toughest test all year. Maybe Ohio State would be right up there with it. Um, and it, by no means was it a phenomenal performance by JJ McCarthy, but he drove the team down the field and won the game when he needed to. You know. That yeah, that, that that's good for like uh you can be a CFL quarterback. Like I I I, I, I nothing there's nothing I've seen from that kid that like what people I, I can understand someone's like, hey, like he's got some measurables, let's draft him. Or free agent, like undrafted free agent. <laughs> yeah. When I heard people like when I saw the first mock draft of any mock draft this year this year, and they had JJ McCarthy going to the Seahawks at 22, I was like what dumbfounded i, I cannot believe people think this guy's a first round McCarthy ahead of michael Penix. they do yeah, yeah, yeah. i'm sure there are it's ridiculous <laughs> ridiculous yeah. I, how can you watch like doesn't now you guys correct me if i'm wrong i think passing the football matters as a quarterback is that still the case uh, yeah. I, I think that's a pretty great educated guess by you Brent. this guy's like at best mediocre. I, I I think I've seen like a dozen quarterbacks in college football that are better passers of the football than him. At least, like he he, he threw an interception on the first play of the freaking CFP. So if, lucky that didn't turn out this be... way. If Michigan had Bo Nix, I think they might be a nine and a half point favorite. I agree, and I'm not even a huge Bo Nix fan. I no. think Bo Nix is a no. like cer- certainly a draftable prospect. But he's like a hundred percent. I would take him over McCarthy. Yeah, wild. Anyway, sorry I interrupted you because you you, you, well, you made a no. It's okay. I, I I think I I made my point. Is Michigan's favorite for a reason? They're a more complete team. They obviously have a, have a great defense. I don't think their offense is as, is as impressive as maybe some people think, or even as maybe some analytics will show. Uh, yeah. I'm just not convicted convinced by JJ McCarthy whatsoever. Trey. Would you rather be going into this game with the the clearly better defense and the the kind of the tougher overall persona, like grind it out run game, um, or go into it with a questionable defense, especially against the run? Like it's not the strong. There's no one can make that case. Like the, it's the weakest unit in this game from a offense defense perspective, and have the best offense um like what would make you generally feel more confident going into a game like this generally the first of the two the former where you have a, a t- just a strong defense a tough defense and a hard notice in the run game and you play p carroll style football and you etch it out at the end because of the way that your uh, your team is um put together but that's putting you know a hand over your eyes not realizing what the teams actually look like and when you actually look deeper at the teams no question is it that i uh, i would rather have washington in this game because i think that they're much closer to a generational offense than michigan's defense is to a generational defense and i think that a lot of national media too just doesn't realize and us husky fans realize this but they don't realize that the huskies haven't won a game by more than 10 points since they played michigan state back in september this team has consistently found ways to win one possession games or games that are not decided by more than double digits and um they find a way to win every time i i don't think i've ever seen a football team play with more resolve than this team does and uh it's incredible to watch and that's why i like this team there at the end yeah i i think that's well said and i i don't think it's any question that the huskies have the best player in this game and i don't think it's close i think they have not only the best receiver but i think you could argue they have at least the two best receivers and maybe the three best receivers i think michigan's got a guy that's decent um that that'll be an nfl player um, I think you've got the best offensive line in this game. Um, I think that you've got the best play caller in this game. Um, I think Ryan Grubb is excellent. I had some real issues with some of the decisions he made, and I'm not even talking about the <laughs> the time 
management stuff. I'm talking about some of the weird chant times for flea flickers and times like thrown across the field. Like they didn't have to be cute in that game. Can we pause on the time thing? Yes, let's do. Did you guys have an issue with them running the ball on the last position? I am yes. so glad you brought this up, Derek. Please state your case, Brian, because I'll state mine. <laughs> I, I, what I just didn't understand is they had not made, they had not had shown any ability to run the ball in those situations all game. Um, I thought the chances of them getting a first down were like close to nothing. And I think once that's like, I was fine with a first down run maybe even a second down run. But when you got to third down, for me, it made no sense to try to run that ball. And forget the injury. That was something that sucked. But you could have lost the fumble. Like, there's all sorts of things that could happen there. Just kneel down. I just thought the probabilities were really miss. miss. What I didn't have a trouble with is them throwing on third down earlier at the goal (laughs) near the goal line. I actually think that, you put the ball in your best player's hands. I would have liked to seen Penix actually be in a position where he could have slid down to keep the clock going, but I was fine with them putting the ball in his hands to see if you get a touchdown and really end the game right there. Yeah. I mean, my, I, I don't disagree that I think probably kneeling the ball on third down would have been smarter. Um, However, I'd be lying if I told you I wouldn't have minded, or at the very least, I wouldn't have been surprised if they would have thrown the ball on third down. There's been multiple times that Ryan Grubb has drawn up a pass play on third down to just ice the game. You saw it against Oregon State. Um, You saw it against, I I feel like there's another team they did it against, Derek. I can't remember. Um, But I was, I was, I wouldn't have been surprised at all if they would have come out with a pass play. but part of the reason I, that I'm okay with the run there um, is because you have a chance to put the game away. And I think that it's just as likely that something could go wrong with a punt as there could be a fumble, like on one of your three run plays. I could be wrong about the probabilities on that. Um, but obviously it didn't work out the way we wanted it to. And we were left sweating it out there at the end of the game when we should not have been in that position. Derek, what's your take? I think I have a, a little bit more of an – I don't have any issue with them running the ball. I, mm. I can't think of a time that a team has kneeled down prematurely, you know, so to speak, kneeling down knowing that they still have to punt the ball away. That just doesn't – I don't – I don't. I can't remember any coaches doing that. Um, mm. I wouldn't have an issue with it per se because, yeah, you punt the ball away and they're going to have 15 seconds to go 80 yards for a touchdown. So I could see kneeling down, but – I'm not mad about that. I do have more of an issue with the throw on third and 10 only because it was third and 10. It was third and five, third and six. Okay. But third and 10 is like, make them call the timeout. It just, it's just, you're already in the, in the red zone. So it's already compressed enough. You're not in the wide open midfield. So I have a little bit more of an issue with that, but can we just, time, I'm not, not too mad because it's, they can the we just in the best place. Thank the football gods that things worked out. <laughs> I mean, how tragic. I mean, Texas does not belong in the championship. Forget like for a second how awful it would have felt as Huskies fans. Just having the team that is not the better team win, I think always sucks. That just always sucks. Unless it's the 49ers. I'm happy to have the 49ers lose whenever to whoever. That's always fun. But man, I I was sick. How that game flowed. Yeah. Oh, the, the Huskies should have been up by three scores. I mean, it just shouldn't yeah. have been close. And they played so well. They did so many things that they needed to do. We have not talked about Braylon Trice. I want to talk about him. Do you think that there's a chance that he can have a similar impact on this game? Because if I'm Michigan, now I know, like, now, okay, maybe I ignored you, Huskies, all this time, but now I know. And I'm like, Okay, that's the guy. We're going to double him. We're going to chip him every time. We're going to make sure he's not a factor. Washington does move him around the line, though. He'll come in the middle. They do get kind of creative. Do you think that Michigan is going to like eliminate Trice? And if so, do you think ZTF or, you know, uh, what's the new guy, number 15? Um, oh, Zach Durfee. Durfee? Durfee. Like, 
and, and like, yeah. So, so I'm curious, like, how do you think that's going to play out in terms of blocking up? What's it? I think an underrated Washington pass rush. I think Michigan is a little better than Texas in that regard. I'm looking now. Michigan's only allowed 19 sacks all season. I'm not sure what Texas is, but they're they're quite. A but on, on on how many dropbacks? Because Texas drops back that's so fair. much more than Michigan. That's Michigan went a whole game without that. passing practically. <laughs> oh, yeah, they had <laughs> eight passes against Penn State. Yeah. So, um, didn't throw a forward pass in the second half. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Look, even, I mean, Oregon only allowed, I think they even allowed less than Washington all season. And there were times that Trice got to Bo Nix. I think in both games they got a sack on him or two. So, I think he can be disruptive. I'm not sure he's going to be as disruptive as he was against Texas. I think Michigan's offensive line is a little better than that. But I also think you have a quarterback in J.J. McCarthy who's a little more mistake-prone. I think I don't think Ewers is, is generational or, or great, but I think he's a little bit better of an operator, and J.J. McCarthy is, is a little more mistake-prone. So I think pressure, just getting to him and being pressure is, is certainly a positive, I think more so against him than some other quarterbacks. How do you guys feel like the Ohio State offense compares to the Huskies offense? Because I, I I think you know like Marvin Harrison Jr. is is a generational receiver. Um, that's been a pretty good program. How do you how do you compare Ohio State to to the Huskies? I'd like to hear what you think about this, Derek, because I. Um, I don't know if you know who Joel Klatt is. He Saturday college football on um, on Fox announces all the big games, and he was comparing Ohio State to Washington's offense and how Jim Harbaugh post twenty twenty has built his team to beat an Ohio State team, and he thinks that this Washington team is pretty comparable. Um, I don't know as much about what this Washington team looks like the way they're built and the way their offense is built compared to Ohio State, Derek. Obviously, their their quarterback is nowhere near as explosive. I, that's no question about that. I don't know about the rest of their offense, though. I think we're talking about two different Ohio States here. Ohio State with C.J. Stroud and Justin Fields mm-hmm. were elite yep. offenses. Uh, looking at Bill Conley's SP Plus ratings, it's a efficiency metric for in college football. Ohio State was the 33rd offense, 33rd ranked offense this year by, by SP Plus. Washington is number four. So mm. there's a difference here. And yeah, I mean, I think Ohio State's quarterback transferring out and committing to Syracuse kind of tells you all you need to know about where Ohio State thought he was at, which is you don't belong at Ohio State. So I don't think comparing them to Ohio State this year is is really apples to apples at all. Uh, UW, I think, would lap Ohio yeah. State offensively. Yeah, and I think comparing them to last year's Ohio State team is fair and probably more what Joel is getting at. Um, but yeah. you also got to factor in that I don't think Michigan is as strong as they were last year. And that just tells you all you need to know about the state of college football this year with them running the table and being undefeated is that that's why Washington is – it was so so exciting coming into the season. And you got halfway through college football and entered into November and you're realizing, man, there's no juggernaut in this thing. Anybody can win this. Yeah. Um, and it's awesome. It's so yeah. very, very cool. And last year, Ohio state put up 40 some points in the semifinal against Georgia. Who was probably the best defense in college football last year. I mean, they well, that's- absolutely routed TCU in the championship. That's kind of what I mean. People forget Ohio State was the second ranked team in the country, and Michigan was third when they played this year in Michigan. And Michigan beat them, but it's thirty to twenty-four. It wasn't like it was ever uh, a blowout. And it was in Ann Arbor. It was in Ann Arbor, and and they had, um, I think they had Will Johnson. Is that their their really good corner on 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 Michigan? They they had him. Uh, following Marvin Harrison around Marvin Harrison still caught five catches for 118 yards and a touchdown. So it's not that they were able to totally shut that team down. They did get a couple picks, but um, I, the thing for me that I just, I will have to see to believe is I think Texas 
felt what it's like to face Michael Penix. And they just completely misunderstood what that was going to look like. And I don't think you can coach a team to say, here's what it's going to be like. I don't think that anyone on that Michigan defense has had to play the type of defense you'll need to play to defend those types of tight, tight throws and that velocity of throw like that throw to what was it? Um, was it Polk or McMillan right down the middle? For the touchdown? Three, yeah. Between yeah, three defenders, good. McMillan, right? So no college defensive back, no safety, no corner is expecting to have to close the gap that fast. They just don't. And so there's going to be a game speed difference for, this group um, that I think will take an adjustment. I, and I, I don't care how good you are. I don't think they've played anybody that mimics what I think Michael Penix will do um, in this game. So I think that's a, that's a legit advantage and something I feel pretty good about for, for Washington. Um, curious. Uh, how do you feel about, the Huskies, not the Huskies, but the the Michigan tight end matchup with the Huskies, like linebackers and kind of like that's when Michigan passes a lot of times it's play action and it's a lot of their um, bootleg stuff to their tight ends. Have the Huskies faced any offenses that are kind of like that? Um, how are the Huskies linebackers in terms of that kind of defense? The tight end from Stanford, I know, is pretty good and. UW's defense did struggle generally in that game. <laughs> Didn't go well. <laughs> 33 points <laughs> against Stanford. Yeah. Uh, that said, they did score 42 and one. Um, yeah. I, I'm i not super confident in, in the linebackers and coverage. I do think Dom Hampton safety kind of plays a hybrid safety linebacker role. I think he's been really quite good this year, really developed nicely. And I, I think he could lock up, lock up a tight end. Um, now, if they can scheme away from that and get him on, on some of these linebackers that I don't think are as good in coverage. I think Bruner's decent in coverage, but the rest of the guys I'm not, not sold on. Yeah. There can definitely be a, a mismatch there. Uh, what are we missing on this? Um, from a coaching perspective, I mean, I, I already told you, I think Ryan grabs a better play caller in this game. Um, would, you know, how do you feel like Jim Harbaugh versus Kalen DeBoer um, will play out. Who do you think has an advantage? Man, that's a good question. That is a good question. I like DeBoer's call. The reason these or... teams are one and two. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I like DeBoer's aggressiveness. That fourth down call again, you know, we saw it in the Washington State game, obviously. And then to go for it again, it was it was only, you know, it was the first half. It wasn't quite as high stakes as the That was the, the biggest quarter. pair of balls I've ever seen in my coach. <laughs> that's awesome. That's call. Uh, especially, especially to try to draw them off sides, and then they call a timeout, and you're just thinking, okay, they're just going to punt because because it didn't work. Oh, I was talking the, about the, the offense back the out. Wazoo game. Oh, that's oh, that that's right. They did try to draw them off sides. Yeah. In the did quarter, they try to they draw them off sides in that Wazoo game before they ran that fourth and one? No. Yes, but it was they tried to. Yes, they did. No. Okay. It was they sent out the punting unit, and then the punter ran up to the center and was acting like he was going to take a Colts style. Uh, yeah, snap and, and right. try to run it. That's the right. would. Um, yeah. But to do it again in the semifinal against Texas in the second quarter at their own 35-yard line or whatever it was after after they'd just been stuffed the possession before on fourth down mm -hmm. uh, in the red zone. So Ford's got the aggressiveness. I think Harbaugh's a really – I think he's a good coach with his timeouts. Uh, doesn't waste it. I think he's just game management, clock management in general. I think, I think he's really good at that. So – Maybe a little advantage compared to what the Huskies just did on Monday. But. Has Harbaugh won a championship anywhere? No. Not to my just needed to throw that one in there, Brian. <laughs> I mean, I heard someone mention, oh, yeah, he's the first college like coach to take a college team and a pro team to a championship. And I'm like, since Pete Carroll, like he's the only guy Pete to Carroll, do it. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. I don't give a shit. He's lost both of those. Pete Carroll won them. So like they don't belong in the same sentence. And, and this is a guy who brought his uh, NFL team to three straight NFC championships. And how many rings does he have to show for it? Yeah, exactly. So I am curious. Uh, you know, Kyle Shanahan is 
similar in that regard. And, and Sean McVay for a while was similar uh, in that regard. So um, I'm curious. I'm curious how, how that plays out. I think Jim Harbaugh is a piece of shit and I hope every bad thing happens to him. So uh, that's an extra added motivation for me here. I will absolutely lick his tears if the Huskies can, can win this and he will be an absolute poor sport if they do like he'll just he'll just be an absolute douche because that's uh, who he is we'll be on a flight to la or vegas yeah good for him go go burn bridges in another city for you know all i care as long as it's not seattle um Uh, i just want to shout out reflect the sun's comment here in the um youtube i'm not sure if either of you have gotten an update on uh westover um if how he was feeling after the game um but he was the the most probably the underrated player of the game in that game against Texas, how many clutch plays he made and how many times Penix went to him. Um, so yeah, he could be a, another underdog or another just kind of unsung hero against this. I've team. never seen Westover make so many catches where he's on his feet. It was crazy. Yeah, he he always gets these bad throws, but I mean he makes, I mean, he makes these full, the ball full... Out of his reach every time. <laughs> Derek, you look like you were going to say something about his his health. Oh, I was yeah. DeBoer on his press conference said, I think he said all the guys that kind of got a little banged up throughout the game. So that was Westover. Uh, one of the offensive linemen went down for a few minutes. Jabbar Muhammad went out for a play. Uh, I think he said all those guys are, are feeling good. So no mm-hmm. injury concern there. That's huge. I mean, uh, I think I think the Dylan Johnson injury is bigger, but I think Westover is a really big outlet for Penix and um, – you know, anything you can do to have Penix have any more comfort to make a decision a split second faster to release the ball a split second sooner is big. And Westover is certainly a part of that. Um, do you guys expect this, the, the the Huskies to attack Michigan downfield? Or do you think that they are going to kind of spread them out? Because I think I heard somewhere that Michigan is incredibly effective at underneath, like defending the underneath passes. Um so it would seem that maybe that they they try to go deep, but you need to protect longer um, to do something like that. Yeah, I mean, I would say that that's a great point, Brian. I didn't know that Michigan was good at de- um, defending the underneath pass. Um, that's a reason to go deep. And another reason to go deep is just Penix's trust in his receivers. I've never seen a connection between a guy like Penix and Odunze where he just throws it to a Dunze, whether he's covered or not, because he just trusts his guy. Like he knows, okay, the Dunze is better than probably 98% of corners in the country. I'm going to throw it up and we'll see if he comes down with it. And I can't tell you, I can count on one hand the amount of times he hasn't. <laughs> How about you, Derek? Yeah, I think they have to. I mean, that a, that's, that's the bread and butter. I mean, that is why this offense is so special. And it's, it, it's only because you have receivers that are so great that you can really build build a lot of your offense around that uh, and obviously a, a really accurate quarterback. But I just don't think there's a secondary that can, can last the whole game. So it comes back to protection. And look, if Michael Penix can avoid pressure like he did against Texas and play out of his mind and avoid every every rusher every time, there's, there's no way that Michigan can defend the deep pass all, all game long. So... Boys, it would be fun. It would be a lot of fun. Uh, you guys, you guys are both going to this game. Is that true? That's true. Mine that is very, very spur of the moment. Bastards. Oh man, I, I, I'm very jealous, and, and I think, I, you know, I was watching, what is that show? The Wrexham show, uh, where mm-hmm. you know the guys Ryan, Ryan Reynolds, Reynolds and, and yeah. And what's his name from uh, Always Sunny bought that soccer team. And I watched this last season when they, they, you know, I won't spoil it for people that probably already know, but, but good things happen and seeing how the town just, you know, erupts. And it's been a while to be totally honest. It's been a while since I've seen that and I just missed that. And so I'm really ha- happy for you guys. I hope you get to have that in Houston. And I wish it wasn't in Houston because what a piece of shit, but but like the people that got that in new orleans that is like oh 
amazing. I was telling Derek that uh, the dream would have been the Rose Bowl because this whole season after we beat Oregon the first time around, I'm like, oh, we make it to the college semifinals. That's a long shot, but we'd probably get the Rose Bowl. And then Georgia Day had to go and screw everything up. So that would have been the dream scenario and then come back home to watch it with friends and family, the championship. But um, I guess, you know, beggars can't be choosers. We're in the natty. <laughs> but 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 did did Georgia like cause problem? I, I feel like if Georgia was in this, if 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 the Huskies were playing Georgia, how would you feel about that matchup versus Michigan? Not I'm nearly not as sure. good as I'm I not sure I would have bought a ticket. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I would have bought a ticket. Yeah, I've been. The, thing, I've been, the thing is, is that we should have been. I I think there's every reason in the world. Mitch talked about this on the Unfiltered that. Um, that UW should have been one and Michigan should have been two, obviously. Um, But as soon as ESPN and that that committee saw Michigan versus Alabama in Pasadena on New Year's Day, there's no way they were passing that up. So we got stuck with the Sugar Bowl. All right, guys. Um, I'm not going to ask predictions. If you want to share them, feel free. Uh, Obviously, we all want the Huskies to win. I I, I think the Huskies are going to win this game. I'm, I'm, I'm really hopeful. Um, if you have any closing comments on the Huskies, share them. I want to take a couple minutes just to talk about some Mariners trades today. Like it'll be five minutes probably, but, uh, any closing thoughts on the Huskies, uh, Trey, I'll start with you. Go dogs. Really excited to be in Houston. And, um, you know, let's bring this thing home. 30, 24 Huskies in overtime, just because they got to make us all have heart attacks there at the end of the game. One more time. I can't tell you if it's going to be, if it's going to be offense that walks it off or it's going to be the defense that uh, has defensive stand, but yeah, 30 to 24 in overtime. That's my pick. And uh, yeah, really excited. Derek. I was already, I was already so miserable on that last Texas drive that (laughs) if if I have to deal with overtime in a national championship, I I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, I don't have a score prediction. I just I think it's such a cool moment that the Huskies are in the national championship. I mean, two years ago, this team lost to Montana at home. They had no offense, no semblance of an offense. You know, the Chris Peterson era kind of faltered away towards the end. It didn't work out. I think how how we'd all hoped, especially after making the playoff you know, early on. So it's it's just really cool. And Kalen DeBoer's done an amazing job in these two years. So just to get here is is an amazing amazing feat and hopefully they can find one more one more win yeah yeah i i hope so too and you know you just you always think you'll get back to these things you always think it all work out but you don't get michael Penix's very often or roma dunze is very often or ryan grubbs you know like a, a lot of things lined up for this to be what it's what it's been and let's hope it it, it ends with with what we all hope it does um all right real quick Mariners make a couple of trades today, so hard hard left turn. Um, Derek, I don't know. Are you a Mariners fan? Uh, not uh, just casually. Okay. Very, very well, then you, you, you're you're welcome to drop if you want. This will be a couple minutes, but or you're, you're welcome to have a point. I'll, of view. I'll passively but, sit by. All right. So Trey, Mariners make a couple of trades today. You and I were talking about this. Do um, uh, you want to catch people up on those trades that the the, the Mariners made? Yeah, um, I don't know the third guy that was involved in the first trade that happened today, but uh, Robbie Ray, a guy we're paying five years, $100 million to, um, and is just coming off of Tommy John surgery, projected to come back. And I think sometime in the summer around the All-Star break, he was traded for uh, a guy that is familiar to Seattle Mariners fans, uh, Mitch Hanniger, um, who is reliable for about 40 games a year probably at this point in his career. <laughs> and uh, I I think this is the most objectively funny trade uh, in Seattle sports history. That's what I sent to my family right away because you, you, off, you get another salary dump from Jerry um, and a guy that's coming off the top of Tommy John, you offload that contract and you get back a guy who never stayed on the Mariners, probably primarily because of his injury history. So I just think it is just objectively funny, very Mariners kind of trade. Um, I don't know the guys off the top of my head. Brian, so you might have to catch me up on the, the trade that we made, uh, sending Jose Caballero away to the race. Yeah, so they got um, uh, Rayleigh back. What's his name? Um, Luke Rayleigh. Uh, so Luke Rayleigh. Mm-hmm. outfielder who's going to be uh, – could also play a little first base. He'll play against right-handers. I guess 
the only reason I even spent any time on this is this is the Mariners off season at this point. Like, uh, this is it. They, they probably won't make many more moves. Um, it is, we just talked about how rare it is to get things lined up. It's so rare to get a, like Julio Rodriguez. He's a generational player. I think it's rare to even get guys like Cal Raleigh and, um, I'm happy to see Robbie Ray go. Like, I really, really, really don't like Robbie Ray. I had no confidence in him as a pitcher. I know there's a lot of Mariners fans that were like, what are you talking about? I just didn't like it. I think he's a fake tough guy. And I think when it when it the, the team needed him to come through, he just got destroyed in the playoffs. Um, So I was happy to see him go. And I like Mitch Hanniger a lot. I agree with you about his his durability you might have bought low again. I mean, he had a very injury riddled year and if he can come and play fine, he's obviously going to be a good fit in the locker room and, and can like, he can be a good bat. Um, so maybe him and Ray together. How about bringing back a guy to a team that is in desperate need of some leadership in that clubhouse, especially with Suarez at the door, you know, like who is the leader on this team? Julio's 23 years old. I love the kid. But he's 23, and, you know, who's the leader on this team that's going to step up and be the leader of the clubhouse? I don't really see that in that clubhouse. So maybe Mitch, at the very least, can bring that back, and maybe Jerry is seeing that in him. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. And um, I'm a little hopeful that Ty France, you know, he's doing the the driveline baseball or whatever it's called that, that uh, um, – JP Crawford did in the previous off season that really changed his bat speed and changed his power and changed a bunch of things. And if I think Ty France, there was a time I thought Ty France was the second coming of Edgar, Edgar Martinez, not like as good, but that kind of right-handed bat that could legitimately hit 320 plus in a season and just spray doubles all over the place. And he was just shit last year. He's like, uh, like yeah. not a good player. And so you got at this point, you got to hope that that Julio can cut down on the the bad swings and swing at more things, uh, you know, in the zone. You have to hope that Ty France is not only returns to form but like grows from where he was. You have to hope Cal Raleigh continues to be what his he's been, and you have to hope that some of these other guys, maybe it's uh, Canzone, maybe it's uh, whoever else comes along. This guy that they got to play third base, that uh, uh, is it Arias um who who had been good at one point but has dealt with a bunch of injuries so like it's a lot of hope and hope uh but not a lot of like confidence um heading into the mariners season and uh you know we want i don't want to spend much more time on it because it'll get me pissed off but like it's just very frustrating um uh it does feel like the i i admit when i saw your tweet in our group chat about objectively funny trade or if I could objectively funny. And I just saw that I thought it was that we signed Carlos Santana. Um, <laughs> I fully expected that there's some rumor about that. Yeah. And then when I saw that there's a Tampa Bay trade in the works, I was like, Oh sweet. We're going to get, you know, a Rosarina. We're going to get someone big. And, you know, I think that, that Luke Rayleigh seems like a good guy to have, but it doesn't necessarily seem like, you know, the guy. So, a little bit of a bummer, but uh, the deals today, I think, were solid deals for the Mariners and improved the team. I agree. And I think what you said, Brian, like, I, I don't want to spend much more time on this either. It'll just get me pissed off. But it, it just objectively, the state of this team really stinks. And there's not much too much more to say about it. You know, I, I got to be at the first Mariners playoff game in 20 something years and at the end of there, 22. And, um, that was one of the greatest sports memories of my life and will probably be for the rest of my life. Um, and you had so much hope going into 2023, all these fans did. And uh, to see what they've done this off season after a, an objectively disappointing 2023 campaign, it's just ownership is cheap. And I don't really think anybody can sit here and have a final decision or a very firm opinion on Jerry or, or Scott service when, these are the pieces and this is the tools you get to work with. You're not going to go out and capitalize on probably the most exciting young team in baseball after 2022 and such a great pitching rotation. You got Cal, you got Julio. Um, It just objectively sucks. So I hope this team has new ownership soon. And that's kind of my stance on it. 
Hear you there. All right. Uh, that was Trayton Howell at Trayton, T-R-E-Y-T-O-N, Cole, C-O-L-E, on Twitter. And Derek uh, at D-E-R-Y-C-K-G underscore, D-E-R-Y-C-K-G underscore, the best handle you know, on Twitter. You know, Twitter said they were going to start removing users who had not tweeted or been active in uh -huh. a long time. So I have bookmarked a couple different usernames of people who oh. do not tweet that I'm oh. hoping at some point Twitter finally does decide to start removing these users. I like and that. I can uh, I can secure a username without a, an underscore specifically for the once or twice a year that I come on <laughs> Real Hawk Talk. And I give you Just shit about right. it. Yes, I, I, I really appreciate that. Uh, boys, have a time of your have the time of your life on Monday. I hope it's a fabulous trip. I hope it's a fabulous game, a fabulous uh, post game. And and thanks for coming on. And thanks to everybody else who uh, joined us. Uh, hopefully, gave you a little something extra on a Friday afternoon. Uh, until then, uh, go Huskies. Hey, folks. This is Brian Nemhauser. Thanks for listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed it. I want you to know that Real Hawk Talk is available on all major podcast platforms. Go ahead and subscribe. Have all podcasts delivered directly to your phone after each and every show. And then go ahead and leave us a five-star review. Helps us out. Gets more people to the show. Then, if you haven't already done it, go to patreon.com slash hawkblogger and subscribe for just five bucks a month. Gets you immediate access to our Slack channel. Join hundreds of folks in that community to talk Seahawks about wins, losses, and all things in between. Not to mention, become eligible to win giveaways for Seahawks tickets and get to ask questions of the Real Hawk Talk crew every week on the show. Finally, if you haven't gone to hawkblogger.com recently, head on over. Tail the Tape Morning After articles are there every week. Hoping to see you there. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for supporting the show. Go Hawks.